Thanks so much for coming this evening and welcome to Pinjop at Sarah House. It's really great to be back here this evening and introduce the amazing Daniel Lismore. I'm sure many of you know who he is and what he's about and the kind of extraordinary person that he is. Um, so it's a real pleasure for me to be here this evening. I'm Simon Oldfield, I'm the founder of Pinjop. We showcase extraordinary people who have extraordinary stories to tell and Daniel is definitely one of those people. He is living art. He brings together the creation of art and man all in one, perfectly entwined. Um, he's been the subject of a major exhibition in America, which started in Atlanta and then moved to Art Basel, Miami. Um, it was celebrating this incredible book, Be Yourself, Everyone Else Is Already Taken, um, which was published by Escura Rizzoli. Um, it, the, the whole exhibition was walking into part of Daniel's world. It was uh, his, his creations that he'd worn over time on life-size models that he's gonna talk a little bit more about, but they were made from cast of Daniel, who is this towering, amazing figure, who's a kind of whirlwind of creativity. Um, when you see him, I think it's immediately obvious, you know, the kind of person he is, but there's much more to Daniel than initially meets the eye. He's a multifaceted, multi-talented person with far-reaching ideas and ambitions. You're going to hear a little bit of that this evening, particularly as he moves away from fashion more into focus with, you know, into the world of art. So without further ado, please welcome to the stage Daniel Lismore. There he is. <laughs> Um, so, Daniel Lismore. Thank you all for coming. Yes, thank you. And um, we're going to start, because I've done a little bit of an intro about you, life as art. I mean, it's the most obvious place to begin, I think, and we can maybe work backwards from there. But, okay. you know, you being who you are, everyone probably makes immediate assumptions about everything that is about you, but I'm sure there's, there's much more to discuss. But let's start with the, the, the obvious, the incredible creations that you that you are, that you make. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you come about producing them? Okay, so what, the creations that I create or the creations that? Both, I think. From, well, okay. you, you, uh, the, your, what you wear. So how it started was, um, I'm from a small village called Falongli in the Midlands. And growing up, I saw all these amazing cultural references um, on television, you know, watching MTV and all these music videos and then discovering the world of David LaChapelle and uh, these great artists that had, you know, lived throughout time. And I kind of looked around me and I was like, well, why isn't the world like this? You know, we're all kind of shown all these images, you know, to sell products and whatever, but why isn't the world really like this? And then um, I went to school and I studied art and then photography later and more or less kind of decided that I would turn my life into you know these these moments like these campaigns for example i'd go in a shop and i was dressed going to buy some milk or something and i was dressed like a hollywood goth um you know in square platforms and uh you know kind of cyber hair and just go completely out and kind of put myself in a a, a juxtaposition of of how re life really was and then it just kind of went from there and then uh i studied photography and kind of really looked at the, the, the subjects of the work and then later became a model and kind of got to learn, you know, the, the fashion world through that. And, uh, you know, I, all of a sudden I was this 
this um, model in front of the camera of these things that I've been looking at for years since I was a kid. And then I thought, you know, it's it's so boring just uh, going to these jobs and and there's no, there's no substance there. You know, being a model, that, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, models have a really hard job. But on the other hand, it's very easy. So, for example, um, I, was, I, I thought there was no substance in it. And I thought, well, if everyone's going to look at me, I may as well give them a reason to look at me. And then I started to, I discovered London and at the age of 17. And more or less um, this underground world. You know, I, I knew who Boy George was and I knew who Pete Burns was, but I didn't, really didn't know this, this world existed. So moving to London, going to all these nightclubs, I saw these amazing creatures and I was like, wow, they're fascinating. Like, they're, that's what I'm talking about, you know? That's, that's, that's where I'm going in my life and mm. I'm going to make it bigger and bigger each week. And then I, I discovered all these clubs and then I started kind of collecting a collective of friends, like really interesting people that inspired me. And, you know, when, I, when I'm with certain people, I'm, I'm always inspired and I, I think it's, it's so important as an artist to be inspired by other people. So did you find yourself gravitated to those people or did they, or was it the other way around or was it kind of a mutual I think thing? it was a mutual thing um, and I, I don't know, like, you know, usually I see someone in a room and I go, wow, that's, they're, they're really amazing and then I don't know what they think of me. Some people are terrified and they run a mile, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. And when you first came to London, where was the sort of the epicentre of your world? I, I know it's sort of Soho, but there was... Was it exclusively Soho? Or? It was always Soho and Mayfair. I always found that, um, you know, reading through history, eccentricity comes from Mayfair. You know, our Britishness um, actually comes from Mayfair. Mm -hmm. um, that's where it was kind of designed by uh, a few ladies throughout history that really haven't been named and given their, uh, uh, like Catherine of Braganza and all these really amazing like Queen Charlotte and... So you're honouring them? So... Uh, now? No, I don't know if I am. <laughs> but uh, I, then Soho became my playground. Yes. And I met the likes of Philip Salon and, mm. um, you know, Steve Strange kind of roaming the streets and, mm. you know, talking to all sorts of people. And I, it kind of really opened my mind to, you know, from being a, a small village, going into the fashion world and then seeing, like, the nightlife world, like the vagabonds and the you know, the, the prostitutes and then the drag queens and all sorts of... And I, I really got inspired by them and I thought, well... You absorbed I'm, all yeah. of that inspiration yeah. and then took fragments of it to create... Yeah, and I was very much inspired by Star Trek as well. That was um, a huge, <laughs> <laughs> huge thing of my childhood. I never went out. It, you know, I was bullied at school and all I did was watch Star Trek. So... Uh, <laughs> Star Trek a lot. and all those other things too. That's amazing. And history as well. You know, Queen Elizabeth... Um, King Henry VIII and his wives and, you know, one of them lived in the village that I was from, so I was kind of fascinated. One of the wives did? One of the wives. I can't remember which one now, but... Um, okay. Before she married? Before, yeah, before okay. she married him. Okay. She wasn't an estranged wife living in a village near Bournemouth? <laughs> or the Midlands? <laughs> well, no, in the Midlands, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so does, does, does the court and royalty, that, that does still feed into your, to your work, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, and when you're the exhibition. A, a child um, through... So I then started to create sculptures and it kind of became a bit more sculptural a bit later on um, when I decided that I wasn't going to conform in any way and I threw all my T-shirts and jeans away and, you know, or ripped my jeans up and started safety pinning bits of them to me and, um, and it became, all my outfits became sculptural. So um, 
a bit later on, I, uh, a few, uh, 15 years later, I decided that I wanted to do an exhibition. And I was asked previously uh, years ago, and I said no, because I didn't think it was right. So um, as an artist, I you know you always have to think something's totally right it has to do. To fit. And, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. So the exhibition came about through an invitation, but why America rather than the UK? Was that just how it's something that evolved? So how it happened was um, I had to move storage, and I was kind of so down with my whole life, and I was you know I was coming out of I had a fashion label we make a tour. You know, Vogue would did, threw us a party and was dressing Mariah Carey and all these things were happening. And I was so down, I didn't know where to go with my life. And I was like, I'm doing all these things, but I'm kind of not happy and I'm not happy creatively and I need to do something for myself. Um, but then I thought, how am I going to... It was my darkest days, I think. I, and so I, I locked myself in uh, the house, called my mum, said, you won't hear from me for a few days. And uh, three days later, I came out with this master plan of doing an exhibition um, based on the Terracotta Warriors, you know, creating an army of me using, um, you know, I use my clothes as armour sometimes, you know, in social situations. And um, so that was the only way I could really think I could create an army of warriors. Mm -hmm. um, to, and and I, I thought someone's going to say yes. So I emailed 10 people really close to me and they were like, oh, great idea. And I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> right, this is not going to happen. And then that night I went out to a Vivian Westwood party and I met the um, this this uh, curator. He did all Westwood's exhibitions mm -hmm. and he said, oh, I'm going to uh, Savannah College of Art and Design to do their museum. I said, I want to do an exhibition, you know, just thinking, you know, putting it out there. Um, <laughs> And, you know, party talk, you talk, have so many hundreds of conversations and nothing ever happens from this party talk, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> and I thought, well, that's not going to happen. And uh, three days later, I got a phone call from him saying, oh, they're interested, you know. And I'm like, OK. And I just done an H&M campaign, which was in Times Square. Yes. And I think they like that. And um, So has that rekindled your faith in party talk? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now I think anything's possible. Um, <laughs> So, more or less, the exhibition came out of... I, I, sent, I said, well, I've got the whole idea and this is how I want it exactly and I need mirrors and I need it to look like it's continuing mm -hmm. forever and it's like this room of there's only going to be like 30 of... I wanted to do 150 first. Right. Um, but I was very ambitious. Yeah. And then um, he came to my storage, which, you know, at the time I couldn't afford to pay my storage. So um, he... You know, I was like, oh, my God, all this stuff's going to go to America and I don't have to pay for storage anymore. And my, you know, I've got one less problem in my life. That's how I was thinking <laughs> of things because I was yeah. so like, you know, you get to these points in life and you're just like uh, yes. frustrated. And you anyway, so um, he came into the the storage thing and there were boxes up to the ceiling. Um, and he was like, you know, as an artist or a creative person, you know, in the fashion industry or whatever, your your ideas are always too much or and people say no mm. to things. Um, well, he said yes to everything. And um, it all went in these boxes. And then I found out me saying no to things. And um, so it went to America. And I, I was like, Mom, it's actually finally it's gone. <laughs> and then uh, I kind of he curated the exhibition and. Uh, it took it took uh, three weeks to do, I think, mm. and we used four thousand pieces of my wardrobe to create three D sculptures wow. of my life. So like tapestries of my life, things that I'd worn in certain places, but with everything else. Mm. 
And I thought, you know, I'm not going to be simplistic about it because I'm not. And so each sculpture was created exactly how I'd wear something, starting right. from the base, using safety pins. Um, and literally the opening night, I went to shake people's hands and I was nearly crying because, you know, I had so many pinpricks in my hands <laughs> and my hands are infected. And I'm just like, oh, it's not, you know, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is not nice. But um, so it was kind of mad to to look around and, and I was getting confused because there were mirrors surrounding me. Yes. And I was like, oh, my God, is that me? Like, yeah. some weight or, you know, <laughs> and I, I've also found that um, all the mannequins that were used underneath, they were too skinny. So I was like, we need to pad them up. They, you know, I'm not that skinny. They need to be fat, you know. Um, so this is uh, how this happened. And the book came as a result of the exhibition yeah, or was it um, something that happened symbiotically well uh they they'd done an oscar de la renta exhibition yes. and they had a Ca carolina herrera exhibition yeah. and there was a space in between and that's mm -hmm. when they said would you like to fill this gap and they put complete trust a in good me sandwich to be which in. was i know it's amazing <laughs> um so they just done the little black book uh dress with andre Ligantelli, and then they did the oscar de la renta book i think and then um they said well how did you feel about doing a book and I'm like, well, I would love to. Who is? And they said, uh, Skira Rizzoli. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> Rizzoli, they're my favourite publishers in the world. Like, literally, that all my favourite books are by them. I said, yes. You know, like, what, what do we have to do? And they said, well, we just have to shoot it. So we literally did the book in a month. So we shot everything and got the quotes and... Hilary Alexander wrote the text. Yes, that is amazing. And there's and some incredible quotes in there as well. We'll read some of them at some point. But yeah, Hilary Alexander wrote the, the book. She put it together for you, didn't she? Yeah, she did. And she's she's quite a close friend. Um, and she she used to chase me around the fashion shows in Paris asking me to do interviews. And then the next time I saw her, she couldn't remember me. Um, <laughs> and then uh, later on in life, we got we I sat next to her at this Coca-Cola event. And... Um, she was like, wow, this is great, you know, and I started to tell her about the fashion label it had at the time. And uh, we just bonded, and, and all of a sudden I was getting texts saying, do you want to come and see Calamity Jane? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> and then I brought her to Noel Fielding, and then she was, you know, so we've had this mad relationship. So I got right. to know her over the time, and I, I thought, well, she's the only person that can really um, write this that's a great, you know, yes. writer. She'll be able to capture the essence because she's such a great journalist. Yeah. So that's and then I went to a house and we drank uh, three bottles of wine, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and the rest and, is history. And, the rest is a book. And yeah, and there's an amazing poem in there from Boy George, which I'm going to attempt to read to you at some point. It's very good. Um, can we? But before we do that, can we just rewind a little bit back to your, you know, before the Daniel Lismore that we know, taking you back to maybe your childhood and the little bit about where this all came from. I mean, you touched on it by from being at school and creating an armor. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that and then... Yeah, I think um, my parents were antique stealers and so my brother and I, we had a dress-up box and we had all sorts of things that came through the house and, you know, helmets and, like, Louis Fourteenth plates with his face on and, like, chaise lounge, you know, and we used to play dress-up and just use the furniture as, like, a backdrop. Um, and I think that's where it came from and I think it was... Um, their taste of antiques and curiosity, you, you know, me and my brother were kind of fascinated, I was, by details of, um, you know, like great artist art, artistry. And I didn't realise what it was at the time. And I didn't realise I lived in this big old house full of all these antiques. I thought it was like a normal thing. So mm. I was seeing all this um, this beauty. And, and I think that's where I got the, mm. that's why I love detail, I think, mm. so much, because I've, I've grown up with it. And and do you still appreciate antiques and that? I, I love them. I think they're amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> because of the the kind of the artistry or because of the, the mainly history? because of the artistry and now you know everything's from ikea and whatever and there's there's only a bit of design put into it and that's, that's yeah it. and it's mass yeah. as well yeah mm. um we spoke a little bit earlier about some of the influences that you draw upon and sort of broader cultural influences could you maybe tell us a little bit about those and how they kind of how you absorb them into your world so well, I think when I moved to London, I was just fascinated by the fashion world and, you know, I'd, all these supermodels and these st wacky stylists and, you know, and then ending up in, like, like really surreal, like, parliament and palaces and, and all these MPs and celebrities. And that's, that's what London is about. And people say, you know, there's a lot of celebrities around you. And I'm like, well, it's because I'm in London and this is just who is out and they talk to me and I talk to them yeah, and, happens and, to everyone. And, they're, and they're very interesting people because they live really really skewed lives whether they're A list or Z list or whatever list you want to put them on they've all lived this skewed life so they all have these kind of strange insecurities and I kind of I just find them fascinating and I'm, I'm not scared to say that you know I think it's really I think they're really interesting and they get a lot of slack and you know people they're just tar walking targets for a lot of people mm -hmm. but i think they're really fascinating people whether they're writers musicians yeah, yeah. fashion designers whatever they mm -hmm. are you can take inspiration from yeah all those and i people. think they're all brave putting themselves out there you know yeah yeah absolutely and some of the people in the book um stephen fry debbie harry vivian westwood some of those are kind of obviously the you know, the very prominent names that have supported you and encouraged you as much as influenced you presumably I, th I, I I'm very lucky to have these brilliant, great names that, and and great people, not just even names, but um, interesting people, and and I think it's it's important for an artist. You know, your your confidence is con constantly shaken, whether in you're the fashion world, if you've made a dress for someone, someone's going to slate it. I I did something for Nicki Minaj and was waiting for the tweets to come out, and then I think E Entertainment tweeted worst um no best use of adult diaper and i'm like oh my god and <laughs> she cut the legs off it so but you know <laughs> she cut the legs off the trousers and it just but it's just um i don't know it's a, it's an interesting yes yeah <laughs> and obviously oscar wilde is someone that you, you know, clearly reference as a quote the name of your book is a, a quote attributed to oscar wilde uh we, you know, tell me a little bit about the, why he is sort of underpins clearly some of what you do. So when when I moved to London, I was reading about all these queer icons and all these people like Quentin Crisp and Oscar Wilde and all these people that roam the streets. And I often used to think, oh wow, I wonder what it was like when they were walking around here. Mm. And um, this curiosity started. And my uh, my model agency at the time said, um, you need to stop wearing all these clothes. Like I used to rip like the nipple part out or the crotch, and I used to go to castings, and they're like, you can't do that. And <laughs> And then I started wearing like orange makeup and um, and they were like, well, you can't do that. And so we're going to send you to Top Man. And I'm like, I'm not going there. Um, so I told my mum and she said, well, why don't you look dandy? You know, like Oscar Wilde. And I was like, OK, well, I'll start to do some research. And she dressed me like Oscar Wilde one day. And this was the first day I met Stephen Fry. And he came up to me and, uh, and said, uh, wow, you, you look like, you know, you're dressed like Oscar Wilde. <laughs> you're a genius. Like, and I'm like, I said, my... My mum dressed me and she said, your mother's genius. <laughs> um, so it's kind of, that's that's where it started. And, and I think he was such a, a great icon and he mm. he really, you know, he's so admirable that he um, he did what he did for, for gay rights and he went to prison and yeah. 
you know, and then he spent the end of his days in um, in Paris and people treat, abused him and no one spoke to him. And I think people like that need to be remembered through history because they're so important. They really are. You know, everyone references him now. And, and at the time, you know, he was the darling of the world and then all of a sudden he was... Dropped by everyone. Yeah, literally everyone. Yeah. And, um, and I just think it's very sad and I think people like that need to remain in every shape, way or form Prominent. somewhere. And it was going to be called... I thought I would call it IB. And then I spoke to the guys at SCAD and they, they were like, well this and that and but then it i thought also it was a contradiction saying be yourself using his quote but then i thought it's okay you know <laughs> we'll get over it it's okay I'll, I'm what sure do you he... think he would make of the times we live in now the kind of where, where i suppose kind of queer gender issues all those things are so much uh, you know in every, you know, everyone's conversation they're very much part of the of societal change and they probably represent i suppose the the, the, the where we have arrived at, where the society, how far it's progressed. Um, what I do think you think he'd, he'd hurt make himself that? on the back and kind of make slap? You think he'd take all the credit out of it? I think he would. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope he would. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a good thing, I think, as well. I mean, what do, what do you think about the kind of the movement for? You know, definitely, where it's moved beyond just about gay rights, become something about more about the queer, broader queer conversation, yeah, I think, gender fluidity. And I mean, all I read those two days ago that it's um, unsafe for trans people to live in the UK, and I found that very sad. Yeah. Um, however, things have progressed a long way since you know when I was seventeen, I was terrified of you know I was like, who else is gay? Like I'm just wondering like who else is like weird like me? You know, and and it wasn't a thing to, you could talk about when I was modelling. They um, told me that I wasn't allowed to tell anyone that I was gay. So, you know, I was going to all these gay casting directors and all these um, photographers, and and actually they were trying to. Some of them were trying to sleep with me. Some of them weren't, and um, and I always pretended that I was straight. But obviously, I, I, my clothes were falling <laughs> off me, and I had eyeliner on, and obviously I wasn't. I'm sure, um, it's very convincing. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I kind of never tried to hide it, and then. When I went out at night, the, my agent was like, you can't dress like that going out. You are your business. You are the subject of your business, right? And I'm like, yeah. So you can't be seen like this because you're not going to get any work. So for a whole year, I wore masks. And that's where I, I became fascinated with masks. Right. And, um, and I've got a huge mask collection. <laughs> so you swear a different one every day. So. And has that... You're, you're, you have an exhibition the Venice Biennale, which is moving on to something else next year, does that feature masks? There's an obvious connection with well, no, Venice, it, I suppose. It, they were, I made these alien sculptures, which um, I thought if I really wanted to design how I look, that's how, exactly how it would look. Um, but obviously, it's impossible to make my spine show and elongate my head. And, um, but uh, yeah, but they, the were, they, were, they were they were 3D scanned versions of an outfit that I wore and then yeah. turned into sculptures. And is that exhibition still on in, so, in Venice, isn't it? It's it just finished, and I think the pieces are going to Iceland now. And um, I've got a, an exhibition. I'm opening uh, the Reykjavik Arts Festival next year in June, and you're all welcome to come. That um, is very exciting. Congratulations. And, thank you. And, and I've got a two-month artist residency, and I've never made commercial work, and I've always declined to sell my work mm -hmm. um, as an artist. Um, I don't know why, but I just have. Um, well, there are many reasons, but... And this is the first time I'll be making commercial work, um, right. and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, good <laughs> luck. What made you make the transition from, or, or want to maybe focus maybe more on art as opposed to fashion? Well, the, the fashion industry, if you, for example, if you have a fashion label and you're designing and you're fine, people are, celebrities want everything for free, and clients rarely, you know, you'll find a certain client that will pay 
90,000 for a dress or, you know, a few thousand for a dress or whatever. However, um, when you're starting to do your research, you realise that you're, um, you're designing for, like, 30 people. Um, you know, if you're making couture, like only these 30 people <laughs> in the world are ever going to buy them. And I thought, you know, I'm making couture. Mm. And, then, and then I also thought I'm competing against 9,000 other designers in Paris. Um, and why would they want to buy what I'm making? Like, why do I, why want to, why am I doing more? Like, why am I putting so much stuff out there when I don't really need to? And I think I leave that to the other people. And that's, and that's why, I, and also I decided that I needed to, work on myself because I've been working with so many different people over the years and and you know as a as an artist you give everyone ideas and you're never given any credit and it, that wasn't really the reason but it's very frustrating when you you're in a job and and you're told no 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 and the next day you see your work out there and you go okay you know so and I thought Do you know what I this world is it's horrible <laughs> um but you know I'm still I'm never going to leave that world but I've now understood it and I think the art world just as cruel but it's absolutely e but it's um kind of easier to uh i think any out. world where there's creativity where, where people fiercely protect what they have created inevitably and understandably there's going to be well, in my experience anyway there is always that there's this and it's maybe coming from a good place but sometimes can be a it can be a um, manifest itself in different ways but i think when there's anything which is particularly creative i think you need that you, you, you know it, it kind of engenders that sort of atmosphere to some extent so good luck with the art world thank and, you and then then who knows what will be next who i suppose knows? um i'm going to read this little poem from the book do you mind no i don't mind do you want me to read it or do you want to read it yeah you can read it i'll read it okay so i'm going to read this now excuse me i'm not an actor so and i'm not professionally going to you know, be perfect at this but bear with me so this is a poem that was written by boy george for this book about Daniel. Yeah, I asked him for a quote and he said no, and then he sent this in an email. So. It's kind of great, actually. So um, I might, you know, the odd little thing, so forgive me. So, Daniel Lismore is a scream, hang him on my wall. He is living art, tart, Balinese Banksy, bitch, Jeff Koons split knee loons, a geisha gone gaga, ridiculously rattling raconteur without words, attention seeker who found it, show off, show out, clothes horse, Miss Havisham wrestling with Mickey Mouse, Kate Moss in everything she ever wore, Bugsby Berserkly, Boy Gorgeous, Busy Bee Lowry, Style Afflicted, Heavily Beat Poet, Dandy Queer, Peacock, Frida Kahlo on crack, Pandora's Box, Crowbarred Open, Cartoon Punk, Kabuki, Car Crash, Scatter Cushion Lips, Russian Icon, Two-Faced Mother of Mary, Coquette, Cockatoo, Total Fabrication, Apparition, New Romantic, Illegitimate Child of Ziggy Stardust and Lena Lovitch, Bag Lady, Dardarus Conspiracy, Darley's Last Dream, The One That Got Away from Freud, Chris Kuski's Most Vivid Nightmare, Theda Barra, Hallucinating, Sister, Friend, Exhibitionist, Gorgeous creature, boy George. That's very kind of him. <laughs> it's kind of brilliant, isn't it? I think it just sums sums up Daniel perfectly, mm. in a in a in a boy George kind of way that only he could do, right? Yeah. Um, he did an album a few years ago with Princess Julia. Someone else we've interviewed here, and it's uh, I think it must have been about twenty years ago, and I and it was it was also just to be alongside a book like this, but there was also. Um, 
it was a long time ago because there was a CD that came with it on the inside. You've probably got it. Um, and it was an amazing collaboration. And there were lyrics that were sung by partly by Princess Julia and written by Boy George. And they had that similar tone. So I think we should get Princess Julia or someone else to basically record <laughs> that poem because I think it would be a brilliant collaboration. Um, there's also some amazing quotes in here um, from various people who, who obviously think Daniel is, is, is amazing. Um, and the photos are just so beautifully produced. I'm going to just find a couple of the quotes. So Vivian Westwood says, Daniel is is very beautiful, big and impressive. To dress up and show himself around is a wonderful act of generosity. He always does good things. I like that in particular because Vivian Westwood seems to be the, well, she is the sort of person that puts so much out into the world, but also expects a lot back in a good way. She wants people to kind of look at the world from a different perspective and forces people to do that. And so I think she's very generous with her commitment to things. She is, yeah. Um, she. I went up to her at the show and she said, oh, I've heard you've done an exhibition. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. She was like, oh. And it was with someone that she didn't want to leave her team, I guess, the curator. And he's so talented. And she was like, oh, well. And I said, shall I show you the picture? She said, oh, go on then. And and years ago, I remember I picked her up from a house and we went to um uh, 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 an event. And I showed her some pictures and I said, I'm going to do this art project. And she said, oh, that's not art. And, and that was the best thing that someone ever told me because I pulled out of the exhibition just because of that moment and better things happened. So I've got a lot to thank for her. And then she said, oh, wow, wow. She was, and she's very hard to please, like visually. And, and she was very taken by the images. And, and then I said, will you give me a quote for the book? Because I'm, she said, yes, I will. And I'm like, really? Like, you know, she's, and then she gave me that and that's how that happened. Yeah, it's very generous. She's, um, she's an amazing person. And um, at the moment I'm supposed to be tomorrow, uh, there's going to be a big thing on um, social media, and um, and you'll you'll see if you go. It's it's about fracking, and there's a fracking company tomorrow about to um, put a gagging order on the whole of the UK. And for example, if you tweet against the this fracking company, you can actually go to jail. So her son Joe has gone to the courts to fight this and paying millions of pounds to fight it. And I, I think you know one of the reasons I do what I do. I've been inspired by people like her, and I know that I have um, some kind of voice somewhere, and sometimes people listen to it, some people don't. And um, I think there's no point of having a celebrity without a great voice behind them and or having someone in you know out there without using their voice. And I, I what I try and do is is use my small platform to say things to the world, and I, and, and I believe it's important that we do speak out on a lot of um, situations that are unjust or you know wrong or... And and she's she's amazing. I think she is. And so, are you, are you going to do something in support of this anti-ban against you know the, the ban against speaking about else? Yeah. So uh, I mean, I've I've tweeted about it, but if you can all go home and write Ineos on a, a piece of masking tape, you can put it over your mouth and tweet uh, Ineos versus the people, and it'd be really great help. Because <laughs> yeah, otherwise, be if you if you in a few years if you you decide you hate fracking. Then um, and you tweet about it, you'll end up in jail. So, <laughs> so good luck to Joe and Vivian Westwood, yeah. I suppose. Um, I won't read any more from the book because um, you want to hear from Daniel. But it is a uh, yeah, it's great, and you've got some great quotes in there. Thank you. Do you? Um, uh, I'm going to just ask one final question before I open up questions to the floor. There's a, I, 
I, everything I've read about Daniel, and as long as I've known Daniel, everyone always compares him to, you know, makes the, slate, the obvious, I think, lazy comparisons to people like Lee Bowery and Divine and those sorts of people who are in their own right incredible and inspiring. And we've had other people here who are best friends with Lee Bowery and have spoken about those sorts of people. Um, so I'm going to ask you the question mm -hmm. without any mm -hmm. kind of expectation or judgment. Um, what do you, A, what do you, um, have you taken inspiration from them and what do you think of them and those com those sorts of comparisons? Okay, so I'm going to be very, very, very honest. Um, and when I, okay, so when I was modelling, I was going to all these clubs and I'd seen the aftermath of Lee Bowery and the 90s and, you know, the early 2000s. And, and what was going on in front of me was real, right? So I really, I wasn't paying too much attention to what had happened. And... I'd gone to a friend's house and he tried to show me the Lee Bowery documentary and I actually fell asleep, like, within the first <laughs> five minutes, I think, because I don't remember. Um, and then uh, I later discovered his work at Kim Jones's house and he had some of his outfits and I tried them on. But I wasn't really taken by him and I, re I was really kind of... Everything that I heard was kind of a negative. And the fact that he... I won't even say, I don't even, but some, some things I, you know, so that's where it, he would have said something awful and, and I probably won't. So, um, okay. I think he was also a performance artist and I'm not a performer. Um, my life might be a performance, but I'm, I'm not a performance artist. So it's quite an interesting distinction to make actually, I suppose, because, and it'd be interesting to have him in the room actually and see if he would make yeah, the same no, distinction. I would have but... loved to have spoken to him. I would probably be fascinated by him. And then. Boy George asked me to play him in uh, Taboo. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, he did. And he said, you'd be perfect. And I went and I let, do you know those um, things that kind of give you confidence? Those um, little, those little drinks that you buy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had loads of those and I went shaking and and they were like, you know, they, they wanted to give me this part. And I was shaking and I was like, and I got there and I was like, my friend Sam Buttery is really amazing and he can play this part and he's going to be amazing at it and, and don't, choose me I think he's great for it but all the all the time between him asking me to go to the audition and whatever I studied his whole life um, and I tried to read up about him I went to Sue Tilly I went mm. to literally everyone that was in his life yes. and I did my research and and I was really playing at my uh, who I lived with at the time Sorapol he was my business partner in the fashion label he was going crazy because I was singing all the songs like <laughs> oh um, running around the house and then acting like him at night but this was years later, like, because I really wasn't that interested by him. And then um, I thought, wow, what a fascinating character. It, you know, he's going to be great to play. Mm. And then I got to the audition and I was like, I can't do this. And and also because I've been compared to him since, you know, mm. I started to wear looks, um, which I think is great. Like, I'm so honoured in, yeah, in a, a way. It's in many ways. And, and in other ways, it's a bit annoying because um, it's it doesn't really stem from that. It stemmed from... Uh, seeing Tasty Tim and Julia right. and um, like Chrissy Darling when I was a kid. And I guess he'd taken inspiration from Lee. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's uh, that's where. Um, but I suppose also what's interesting is that Lee always wanted to have that, to make that transition yeah. and be really accepted and seen as a credible artist, which mm -hmm. I think to some extent he managed to achieve later on in life. And you've, you've already begun to do that. You're beginning that journey and you haven't had the, the exhibition the book and various other things which are, are inevitably going to, to happen it's quite interesting that you're 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 carving your own path and i think you know 
when you're made, when the comparison is made so regularly and so frequently, I suppose it means it, it is more important for you to kind of make sure you stride out in your own yeah, Daniel Lismore way. It is, and and I've tried to. I mean, I, I wear big lips, but I was I loved when I was younger. I loved like the whole idea of surgery and having huge lips and having, and I thought, well, I'm not going to get them done, so I should just paint them on. And Anna Nicole Smith was more of a, an inspiration than Lee Bowery to me. You know, I was obsessed with her, and I met her, and she was amazing. And like Pamela Anderson and all these ladies that were yeah. glammed up, and they were more, more inspirational to me at yeah. the beginning. And and now I'm learning more about Lee, and and in some ways I think he was totally vile. In other ways, I thought he was completely amazing. You yes, know? Yeah. but um, that's where I differ. I'm I'm not a performer, and and also for me wearing this stuff. I don't go. In, I know I'm going to get attention any way I look. Like however I look, if I'm fat and I've got my hair out, I put on weight. So people are going to look at me. If I've got like a, a hoodie on, people are definitely going to look at me because I look terrible. Um, and if I look like this, people are going to look the stare. And and it's I've had it my whole life. Um, but he would go in a room and ask for the attention. I yes. would. I go into rooms and I sit at the back and I stare and I watch and I hate being as much as I, I don't like being the centre of attention as crazy yeah. as it sounds and this is all kind of uh, you know armour it's yes. a barrier yeah. between everything and it's also another one of the reasons I do what I do I love um, uh, psychology and I think it's really interesting how people respond to this you know mm. I've been beaten up and then I've been celebrated in museums and I've had all these crazy bad things happen to me and all these great things and mm. it's you know mm. and and um I have a, di a different agenda, I think, to Lee. Good. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Um, and you said something interesting about books, and because um, obviously Pindrop is uh, all about bringing together different art forms, art, literature, fashion, literature, and, and so how, how those things intertwine. And we were talking a little bit earlier about your relationship with books, and you love books, but you and you collect them, but... I'm obsessed with books, but I haven't... I've read one book in 17 years, I think, and I have a huge, I have hundreds and hundreds of books, but I haven't read any of them. And I think one day I'm just going to have time to just sit down and read books, and that's all I'm going to do. But uh, until then, <laughs> I'm going to keep collecting. Keep them. collecting them. And how do you collect them? Are they a particular kind? What, what's the what's what are you drawn to? Well, usually my friends write books, so I kind of I've got all their books. And Sophie from Rizzoli sent me some really beautiful picture books, and I do I do look at the pictures sometimes. But um, I know one day I'm going to kind of sit down go and sit down somewhere and just start reading and with a hoodie won't stop yeah wearing a hoodie <laughs> in the corner I, st I only have one hoodie it's a mariah carey hoodie it's a good hoodie <laughs> to have <laughs> um okay i'm going to just see if there are any questions from the floor if anyone would like to ask anything otherwise i'll keep asking questions because i can be greedy but if there's anyone in the audience would like to ask anything yeah the question was when um, daniel does his two-month art residency what will the commercial art be um, the commercial art will, well, I'm kind of trying to curate it in my head right now, and I know that there'll be crystals involved, <laughs> um, but I'm not really sure what will happen until I'm there, and I want to be totally alone on my own. It's, it's in a lava field under the active wow. volcano, and they've got me a helicopter in case it goes off, so that comes in 15 minutes if, <laughs> if it does go off. But I don't think it's going to... Do you think um, you could just, like, call Wolf occasionally? Like, I need the helicopter yeah, now. <laughs> but I think it's coming. Um, well, maybe. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be... Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to curate what in my mind at the moment. And I've asked for certain 
um, I, I want to make, I want to use new materials and um, 3D printing and see how far I can push that. But I'm not sure if I'll be able to do that out there. I don't know. We, I don't know, to be honest. But um, maybe sculpture and some paintings. And I love painting, but I only used to paint when I was really down and I didn't see any. I used to lock myself away and paint and draw. Right. And I haven't done that for a while, so I, I'm not sure, to be Let's honest. see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And the exhibition will be in Iceland? It's, it's in Reykjavik, in yeah. Reykjavik. And so I'm bringing this exhibition and the Venice exhibition and, and a new, new exhibition. Work. So there'll be three exhibitions in one. Fantastic. We'll all be there. Another question there. The question was, does Daniel ever get creative blocks and what does he do to overcome them? Um, no, I, I don't. And when people say they do get creative blocks, I'm curious because I just want to know what's going on in their head. Um, but I can't have a, I don't think I can have a creative block. I, I think it's nearly impossible um, because I, I'll have too many decisions to make of where to go. And, and I think the only thing that would block me is a hundred ideas mm. so and choosing one of them that might be the only thing that really blocks my uh, yeah. vision <laughs> good i think you'll yeah. just keep creating yeah good yeah. any more questions or yes okay so the question i suppose is just about if um how do you retain your integrity in a, in, a, in a world where there are so many pressures and demands from commerciality and various other pressures yeah i'm not sure i think it's about being real and um I've I've um, made a lot of sacrifices to my life and I've said no to huge, huge money, like stupidly. Like at times I think that I'm like, I'm mad. <laughs> um, but I've only said yes to institutions and really interesting people. And I think, you know, as an artist, um, you, you know, a lot of artists start making their work and then maybe they go to a gallery and then maybe someone will buy their work and maybe some museum 10 years later will buy their work. And I thought... I don't like that industry. That's not why. Why do we have to do that? And I, I did realize that I was one of the only people doing what I'm doing and trying to make it bigger than just being a person. So um, I thought, well, maybe I should, um, you know, try museums and maybe I should really think on the bigger level. And um, by doing that, I, you know, I've been broke for a long time and but and it's a nightmare. But. Um, it's better than doing something that I'm not happy with, which I'll hate, which I won't do anyway, which I'll probably not turn up for meetings, which, you know, so it's, it's, it's been very hard. Um, and I'm just being very honest. Um, and, uh, recreate, I mean, I, I know it's really cliche to say, but I, I look at Madonna and how she changes her image and, you know, um, and how she changes her, she's launching this and that. And I think, wow, that's kind of inspirational that she's always forever changing and I think that's what I'll probably always do and I have no idea how I'll end up but um I, I'll just keep going and being real about it and I think that's um that's it a lot of I've seen really talented people just drop and mm. and it's and and die or kill themselves or you know and friends and it's it's been kind of devastating to see um but I just won't let this is another thing London is so well known for its creativity and I always say this but it, the artists and whatever, they're prosecuted by the industries, by the fashion industry, by the art industry, by certain people. So, and I just think you all, you know, like if you're <laughs> going to do that, you you don't really matter to me because there's a hundred more people out there that are going to respond in a certain way. So it's just ignoring the, uh, the negativity. And people always have something negative to say. I think Stephen Fry told me, the more people that love you, there's going to be more people that we, hate you. Absolutely, I agree with that. And, and what's so interesting is so many of the people, great people that we probably both know who are 
who've probably produced some of the most interesting, the most daring, the most challenging work that push boundaries, that try new things. They often receive the most criticism. They often get pushed back. They will receive the, least, the least amount of funding. And when they get a little bit of funding, they expect to work miracles with it. And they usually do. But it's that frustrating process, I think, where there is a, there's this sort of feeling that in London, it's just everything is happening. Everything's happening all the time. And actually, it's hard to make it work. I mean, I know that even just from pin drop, it's actually very hard to kind of make it all come together. And so I can only imagine how difficult it is for, you know, when you're doing something which is so different, so unusual for most people, for the vast majority of people, they want to look at you and, and, and appreciate you and, and get a piece of you probably. But it's, um, but it's not easy to do that when you're, you're basically alone, aren't you doing it? Yeah, and yeah, London, yeah. you know, any city, I suppose, any big city. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a really amazing family and really amazing people surrounding surround me. You. That's and, important. And, um, and I, I really appreciate the, their love and I feel it. And, and, and I think that you need that sometimes. And some people don't have it or some people do have it and they don't yeah, see it. That's right. Um, but I think you, you, sometimes you've got to, I think, stop this is I think this is another thing I've just stopped at certain points and I've gone what am I doing where am I going you know and and then I have to restart and, and I think that's a another point you know I, Vogue throws the party I dressed Mariah Carey and and I was like okay I've done that I don't need to do any more you move know? on I've got the, these people where I don't need to do why am I, why am I doing this you know I, I need to move on so I think that's um moments of realization of going somewhere that fulfills the whole vision and on that note i'm going to say thank you very much daniel i know you're going to stay and sign books if any of you are interested in them that'd be wonderful and um <laughs> thank you very much daniel lismore the incredible being creative thank genius you that you are thank you <laughs> thank you thank you for listening to me <laughs>